We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time to talk a little Notre Dame USC. And we've got our old friend RJ Abadia with us from uscfootball.com. How's it going, RJ? It's going great. You know, it's it's that time of year where if you find yourself covering a football team playing meaningful games, it's it's the fun. It's the fun of the year. It's the fun of the calendar without question. That's right. Going to Thanksgiving weekend and everybody's got something to play for now. It's hard to beat, I think. And that's you know, that's I think that's kind of part of the fun. We haven't had a Notre Dame USC football game where there's really been, you know, the stakes aren't quite as high for Notre Dame, obviously, but they're still playing for potentially a chance to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. There's there's plenty for both teams on the line, and they're both going to be highly ranked for the first time in a while. So I think it's it's pretty exciting. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, we, we just went through a version of that with the USC-UCLA game. It had been a long time since both those teams had been where they were going into that game. And I think, you know, it's not a conference game and USC having clinched a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. So the stakes are not quite as high, although obviously USC, you know, until they're not in contention, they're in contention for the playoff, you know? And so a win, you talk about this stretch of the season with UCLA, Notre Dame, and looking like Oregon, although still to be determined, but that's three top 16 playoff teams that USC would be playing. And if they were to win, now you're talking about a 12 and one USC team who's beaten three straight top 16 playoff teams. I think that's a long way off as we'll get into in a second. I think that's, that's going to be a big ask, but if you get on the other side of that, I don't think there's any question you're talking about a USC team in the playoff. Right. No, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. That's, you know, we've kind of been talking about, you know, in our shows, diff- you know, those those scenarios, whether it's USC or, or LSU, you've got all these teams, you know, kind of lurking out there. And Tennessee losing obviously helps everybody out, you know, that it was kind of stacked up behind them. I think everyone was surprised by that, for one. But uh, so, so we're sitting here at the end of Lincoln Riley's first season there. 
at USC. And he's obviously done what he what he went there to do. I mean, if the guy ran for mayor of Los Angeles right now, do you think that he'd win? Well, depends on the precinct. Yeah, I um, guess. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make a he didn't make a good there's a good chunk of Los Angeles who's not thrilled with him right now. Um <laughs> but you know what what he has done um really to sum it up in the best way possible is they are a Lincoln Riley team. In in a very short amount of time, that is who and what you see at USC is for better and for worse. And in this day and age, to be honest, it's largely for better. Like if you look at the profiles of the top college football playoff ranked teams, almost all of them have an elite offense. And the truly elite, I think, are the ones that couple elite offense with elite defense, but that's a short list. I think in this day and age, especially if you just look in the Pac-12, you see teams with elite offense that try to get opportunistic defenses to do just enough to win. And that's essentially who USC is, and it's worked. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that they're 10-1. and And Lincoln Riley, you know, he has never lost more than two games in a season. And that result is still in play, in theory, um, at this stage and this late in the season. So I think it'd be hard to call this anything but a significant success in year one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, the kind of turnaround that they've had, obviously. What what maybe has impressed you the most in, in covering him over the course of this first season? I think by far the culture. I think that the chemistry, you know, I think outsiders, including me before I started covering USC, I think there's a lot of perception that what was holding USC back was a lot of intangibles, a lot of character deficiencies, a lot of ways in which they weren't as mentally tough as they were talented. And there have been numerous occasions and numerous examples all season long 
where that character and toughness was tested and they've answered, you know, they've had good answers for it yeah. pretty much every time that they've gone out there. And that's not something we've been able to say about a USC team. And I don't think when Lincoln Riley came in, it was something that people latched onto as an expectation. I think they knew that he was going to take the offense to another level. I think they knew that there would be winning um, a lot more than last year, but if you look at that game last night, um, a bunch of the headlining plays were made by transfers, guys who have, were here, I mean, some as late as the summer, <laughs> you know, guys who arrived June and July, and right. they're making championship plays for you. And the thing is, it's as we, I think the last time we talked, right, this is a team that had played no games together before September. Exactly. You know, they don't have years of of common battles, common experience to draw on in these tough moments. And they've had answers far more often than they haven't. And the other thing that's been really interesting is this staff has also not played our guys, their guys. There have been a number Mm -hmm. of returners on the USC team who on their own timetable, guys like uh, Michael wide receiver, Michael Jackson, uh, Josh follow tight end um, for USC. Um, a bunch of guys, uh, Kyron Hudson as a receiver. Um, I'm forgetting. I try to name all their receivers, and then I there's just so many of them. But Taj <laughs> Washington and guys on the defensive end too. And and what I'm trying to get at, and taking too long to get it, is that this staff has proven that if you work, you will get on the field. And that sounds really simple, and that sounds like something you presume would be the case everywhere, but you and I both know it's not the case everywhere. That's right. It's absolutely right. And there has been a real meaning to seeing players play their way onto the field as late as yesterday, you know, as late as the last few weeks, but get meaningful roles. And I'm not talking about garbage time roles. I'm talking about in the case of Michael Jackson, you know, there have been games where there was a game, um, the Utah game, which they narrowly lost. They brought him in cold in the fourth quarter, ran a play for him, and he scored what nearly became the winning touchdown. Um, last week, Darwin Barlow, or last yeah, last night, Darwin Barlow, running back transfer from a year ago, so before Lincoln Riley arrived, has kind of been a forgotten guy in that running back room with the emergence of Travis Dye comes in in the fourth quarter and finishes off UCLA's final touchdown drive with two strong carries, including a touchdown. Stanford's Austin, no longer Stanford's, but Austin Jones stepping up for Travis Dye after spending most of the season backing him up and putting up 125 yards. You know, there have been cases like that all through the year, and those are the symptoms of a good culture. You know, when you see guys... Number one, putting in the work, but number two, being rewarded. I think that that has been easily the most impressive part of what's gone on this season. Well, he brought, Riley did, brought Caleb Williams with him, obviously, from Oklahoma, and he's just torn it up all year. Heisman conversation, the whole thing, had a monster game. We're, we're talking right after the UCLA game, had a monster game against UCLA. I mean, even in their loss to Utah, he had a big game. You know, I'm, I'm looking back through it. Is is Oregon State, like, is that the closest thing that he's really had to a bad game this season? It is, um, without question. And, you know, I think, I think as a group, 
you know, that was the first true road game of the season. You know, they had played against Stanford in the equivalent of basically an empty stadium. But that was the first time they went into someplace truly hostile. And as as you know, and as you've seen, you know, venue matters. I mean, you can even look, just look at what's happened when Alabama's gone on the road this year. Yeah. You know, they've gotten super shaky, super fast. You know, whether you're talking about the the Texas game, the the Tennessee game, the Ole Miss right. game, and then, you know, bringing it back. Um, so I, I think venue really impacted them. I also think Oregon State has been by far the best defense that USC has played. And that is until Notre Dame arrives on Saturday, which is a big part of why I would not even be a little surprised to see Notre Dame get the win. Well, and that's, you know, we were just talking before we started, and, and I was kind of thinking of this to an extent, you know, it's like, You've got UCLA, and, and USC has always played in these years where, where Notre Dame comes out to the Coliseum. They've always played Notre Dame and US, or UCLA back-to-back. You know, the, the, the order has been reversed in, in, you know, previous years a lot of times, but they play them back-to-back, and, and especially now where you're sitting here in late November, that's that's – got to take some kind of a toll i would think on a, on a team like usc to you know to one have to win a game like they just did against ucla and now you've got your other biggest rival you know notre dame coming into the coliseum this week yeah and as we were saying it's it's a toll in years when the stakes are low right but but it's a toll now because notre dame is good ucla is good you know you're and and usc is good you're playing yeah. for big big stakes and that there is a mental and a physical cost at this stage of the season and obviously it's still you know it's the everyone would trade places right everyone sure. would take the problem of being 10 and 1 of of you know being on the border of pushing into the college football playoff of clinching a spot in your conference championship game these are great problems to have I think when you zero in on the Notre Dame USC game, it's really just a really conspicuous spot in the schedule because as we were saying before we got on, USC is playing in a championship game, but they're not doing it for two weeks, right? So the Notre Dame game has stakes always. There are scenarios where USC pushes into the college football playoff discussion legitimately here in these closing stretches mm-hmm. with a win over Notre Dame. So I don't think it's a situation where USC will not be fired up or will not take Notre Dame seriously or will not prep. None of that. But this USC team, especially on the offensive line, is beat up pretty good from this season. Um, and that's uh, that's an issue. When you talk about Notre Dame, and again, part of me is... is it's a little crazy for me because I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a team that lost to Stanford um, coming in. And <laughs> you don't have to tell me, you know, it's like they're, they're know, sitting here at, at eight and one. Is it eight and one? I always have to do the math on this because th- this season has just been so weird, you know, to even conceptualize some different. Yeah. So they're eight and one in their last nine games with the loss to Stanford. And there's no one, there's no one on this side that can figure that out. Yeah, 
and and trust me, I'm not. I, I, as you know from my own background, that's not something I'm disregarding. I'm I'm well aware of how inconceivable that result is, was, and remains. Um, but again, I, again, it, so much of this is the when of things, you know. And and I feel like I almost feel like you know I think in the not too distant future there's going to be a time when this is a conference game, frankly, and we we could talk about that at some point. Ooh. But like, but I. I feel like if USC had to beat Notre Dame to get into the Pac-12 championship game, that's a different feel. Right. Right. That's a slightly different or, or vice versa. Right. If Notre Dame was playing for a situation, playing for a direct result like that. But I just think, and, and look, USC has answered every challenge this year, but one, and that one was a one point loss. So I don't, want to make it seem like it's a fait accompli or just it's inevitable. I just think this is a big, big ask when you look at the type of football Notre Dame plays and well, where it's all on the schedule. What's, what's you know, as, as someone who covers USC, obviously, what, what concern level should there be on the USC side slash what confidence level should there be on the Notre Dame side when you look at that matchup? Notre Dame's running game against USC's front seven. Well, that's a that's a very clear strength versus weakness right. spot, right? And that's the other part of this is that it's not just the the quality of team that Notre Dame is, you know. And and they're they're vulnerable, don't get me wrong. I'm not I don't this is not 1988. I recognize <laughs> that. But but the type of good team they are is kind of what creates the concern. You know, US UCLA if you look at their overall profile, you might call them a better team than Notre Dame, but they're not a bad fit for USC. Yeah. You know, even with Zach Charbonnet, like USC actually did a really good job defending Zach Charbonnet. They were the first team in five games to keep him under a hundred yards um, last night, which, which played no small role in the victory. So again, USC is not just going to, they're not just going to lie over. They're not just going to bend the knee here at all, but I just think it's a tough, it's just a tough, tough matchup. This is a good time for Notre Dame to be playing USC. Yeah, I mean. This is the best way I'd say it. I don't know how much of the Clemson game you get you got to watch, but I mean, I'll be honest, you know, after seeing Notre Dame do that to Clemson, I think everyone on this end went, ooh, that USC game, you know, it looks a lot different now after seeing that, you know. So go back to Caleb Williams, though, for a second. Sure. Does he, I mean, everything that, virtually everything that we've seen from him is good. You know, again, like the Oregon State game, they still won that game. And as you said, the closest thing that he's had to a bad game. Is there a real weakness that Caleb Williams has? I think one of the things that's kind of emerged this season is, I guess, his weakness is an excess of one of his biggest strengths. I consider him the least sackable quarterback, not just this season, but one of the least sackable quarterbacks I've ever seen play. That's the, what stands the, out the, yeah. the amount of times when there have been guys less than an arm's length from him who don't not only don't bring him down, they don't even touch him. It's it's amazing. You watch it over and over again, and you, I mean, it's just I have not seen that. You know, you've got 
there are Lamar Jacksons and Kyler Murray's and, and Cam Newton's and, and there have been guys absolutely over the years, but I can't think of anyone who has been this difficult to sack. The flip side of that is that there are plays that he extends longer than necessary. And that can lead to sometimes some ill-advised choices, but also <laughs> what it leads to is an offensive line that's got a block for 10 seconds anywhere from five to 10 times a game. Yeah. You know, and that takes a toll um, because other than that, it's pretty tough to shoot holes in his profile. I mean, I think the thing that has been, he threw an interception last night, second interception, second, third, I think I should know this, but I don't, but um, I mean, he came in at, yeah, I think he came in at 31 touchdowns to two interceptions. That sounds right. You know, elite quarterbacks or coaches are happy with guys who are at three to one, let alone 10 to one, (laughs) 11 to one, 12 to one. And, and the, the the thing that stands out about what he's done this year amongst all the big plays he's made amongst all the things he's done well is this team just does not turn the ball over with any frequency any regularity which means you've got to get them off the field in four downs and it is really hard to keep this team from gaining at least 10 yards every four downs hmm. Well, you were just touching on their offensive line, and I'm going to give you credit, first of all, because go back to the summer when we talked coming into the season, we were talking about, okay, what are the questions that they have and you know all these different things. I brought up USC's offensive line, and they weren't very good last year, and you said, well, you know, they got better. You know, By the end of the season, they were a much better offensive line than they were at the beginning of the season, and here we are now. They're a Joe Moore Award semi-finalists so I, I guess a couple of things one and I'm not trying to take anything away from them you know because I haven't you know I've, I've watched a few of their games and they look good and you know and, and what you're describing so I guess the question is two-part one how much better have they looked but also you know how does Williams factor into sort of how much better they look because of all the the dimensions that you were just talking about with him well I think that I think both of those I think both issue, both things can be true, right? They they can be a really good offensive line who has benefited from Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. I think both things are accurate. If you look at their numbers, they're giving up pressures on about 36% of the dropbacks, which is not elite low. And it's also not red alert. Yeah. Bad, you know? Um, and, you know, again, there have been plays Conversely, where the few times when Caleb Williams has been sacked, it's as much on him as on them. Um, but I think if you look individually, you know, Brett Nelon is the number two graded pro football focus center in college football. Andrew Voorhees, who plays left guard right next to him, is the number three rated guard. You know, so this is a pretty talented group. This is this is a good group. And and that's really been the big contrast between offense and defense this year for USC is that Lincoln Riley inherited a pretty good offensive line and one with room for improvement, as you've seen. Defensively, they did not inherit that kind of front seven and yeah. that kind of line of scrimmage presence. And that's how the season's played out, you know? 
an elite offensive line has turned them into an elite offense. A front seven and a defensive line that even with Tuli Tui Pelota, who's an exceptional player, they don't bring that kind of consistency in terms of generating pressure, in terms of stopping the run. And that's why you kind of have the team that you have at USC. When you look at Jordan Addison, we haven't even talked about him. The, of course, the transfer from Pitt, he, who has been you know the number one target for for Caleb Williams. Again, like he has not been held in check very often. There've really only been a, a couple of times that that's happened. How, when when that has happened, how how have you know those two? I think it's two teams. Maybe how have they managed to do that? Well, I I, I don't think there is a book on him. Um, he's not a big guy, but he's very physical. There have been a number of plays where he's made catches and had to fight for that last two or three yards to maybe get in the end zone, and he's won his share of those fights. So he is a very physical player, but he's not a big player. So, you know, it, it's the old, you know, it, it, it's pick your poison in a certain sense, right? I think teams that have pressed and been physical with him and teams that have gotten Caleb Williams out of sync are the teams that can move the needle with him. But he's just, I mean, he's an amazing route runner and he is, he has great hands. He went his first, um, I think I, in fact, I think that streak's still alive. He's now over 46, 47 catches without a drop yet this season. He hasn't dropped a pass and, and, and coming in some astronomical number, if you just, sorry, just give me one second. I got to juice my laptop here. So we don't, Uh oh, we don't go completely. Don't the laptop I, just, in the middle. <laughs> I just noticed that the battery thing. So we gotta, we gotta fight. We got a thrilling climax here. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, okay. Now wait, is this thing on? Trust me, trust me. This the Boston College guy last so week had a baby so sleeping in his arms, with, you know, when we were doing the interview. So you plugging in a computer is nothing at this point. So. Yeah, no, I don't, you know, what What world are we even living in at this point? Who can right. tell? All right, well, I'm just going to hope for the best here at this point. But um, no, with Jordan Addison, you know, he's just an all-business football player. He's physical. He's an amazing route runner. Um, and he's in a great offense. It's very difficult. And, and and I will say the other silver lining that even Lincoln Riley kind of referenced over the past few weeks when Jordan Anderson wasn't available is that they got a lot less predictable. Because they're, like I said, with, with Michael Jackson and some of the other guys, they're going to throw to the open guy. And if that's Jordan Addison, that's who it's going to be. But it doesn't, you don't see a lot of force feeding in this offense. So now if you're a defense and you do your job on Jordan Addison, but they've got four other receivers out in the pattern, you need your second, third, fourth, and fifth best cover guys to cover. And if one of them doesn't, the odds that Caleb Williams is going to find that guy is pretty good. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It's pretty. I was just thinking about how Notre Dame lines up to defend that, and it's. (laughs) I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. They haven't seen. You know, they they've seen a couple good quarterbacks, but they've seen nothing like that. They've seen nothing like this system. They've seen nothing like what what USC is going to throw out there. You know, from a receiver standpoint. So it's 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 a really curious matchup for sure. And you know, it's again, this is a rivalry that 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 goes back forever and it it feels like where these two programs are right now like this could this could kind of go back to to being a national rivalry here for the next few years you know the way things are shaping up well I think Notre Dame's record in the past five seasons speaks for itself um and I I think also it's not a coincidence but I think their recruiting in the past five years right kind of speaks for itself. And with Lincoln Riley at USC, I think the the football, the offense is going to be up at that level. I think we just kind of arrive at the at the true crossroads for Lincoln Riley. The the the, the last bridge for him to cross basically is can he recruit elite defensive talent? and build a defense that matches what he's done on offense. Yeah. That's the final threshold. That's that's the thing that he couldn't do at Oklahoma. You know, that that's kind of the ceiling that he hit there, right? Yep. Is that you he put up some unbelievable teams that didn't lose. I mean, they won. They never lost more than twice in a season. But when you get up against that elite team in college football playoff games, it goes south quickly if you don't have answers on both sides of the ball. That's right. Notre Dame knows that all too well themselves. You know, that's, yeah, absolutely. That's bottom line. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's trending in that, in that exciting direction. I, I really do think, I think it's not, um, it's not that far away from a scenario where maybe a year from now, this is a top 10 matchup. Yeah. I think you know, it's it very not far well from being one as we speak, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's not far off, that's for sure. I saw, you know, and again, we talked in the summer, it was what maybe just within a few days after the big USC UCLA announcement to the Big 10 is is when we talked. I saw I think it was last week that that you know, not so fast like UCLA might not be able to be a part of this. Do you have any insight like exactly what is going on with them and what could keep them out of this deal? Well, the, 
the level that that's occurring is the University of California level. Okay. You know, you got to remember that that's the huge difference that everyone knows, but it, it, it comes into play at this moment. USC is a private school. Right. They are not bound by an, by an institution or an organization larger than themselves. Right. You, UCLA is a UC school. They are, they are part of the state of California. Right. So there's a board of regents that runs the UCs. And it is not it is not a situation where UCLA is completely autonomous. Now, if you're asking me where would you bet, where's the smart money, I think to the extent that UCLA is committed to making this move, there's a path. You know, but it's yeah. not at this moment, it's not guaranteed. You know, it's not the no-brainer that it is for USC. I think, again, my sense of this in the long run and the long run being inside the next five years, I think Stanford, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington are all going to be part of a super conference Big Ten scenario. I defer to you, as always, with issues about Notre Dame. <laughs> I think at some point in that window – Notre Dame's going to make that choice at well as well. It might be maybe a little longer than that, a little shorter. I don't know. I think that's where college football's going, and I would be shocked to find out that the UC Regents kept UCLA from that emerging kind of NFL level two super conference tier at right. the end of the day. Yeah, as far as Notre Dame is concerned, the biggest, the biggest chip that fell in their favor here what within the last month or it was when they decided they're going to expand the playoff to 12 teams getting that keeping that access making sure that there is yeah. more access to the playoff as an independent was big the next piece they have to solve now is what's going to happen with this tv contract are they going to be able to keep nbc or will cbs or fox get in the mix and are they willing to pony up enough that it keeps Notre Dame's attention? You know, because obviously the hundred million dollars a year that all these Big Ten schools, Notre Dame's not just going to jump it. Like if it's the difference, I think now this is this is just me based on everything we've heard about their independence and what it means to them over the years. Like if it's the difference between seventy-five million and a hundred million dollars, if they can get seventy-five million. I think they're perfectly fine with that because it allows them to keep their independence. But do other do other dominoes fall that that force them closer? Like do other schools start jumping? Because you know, I don't know about you, but you know, everyone in this part of the country was sure pretty surprised when all of a sudden here's USC and UCLA jumping. So you know, that's that's the next thing I think is do other schools start jumping? And and does that force Notre Dame's hand to some extent? So, uh, but but again, having the access to the playoff is huge for them, and having that independent TV partner is the next biggest piece for them. So that's that's what we've got to kind of, and that's I think we've got what about three years before that you know the current contract is up. So yeah, well that I mean look that's the that's the enviable perfect position, right? I mean, you're, you you still it shouldn't be lost on anybody that it's 2022 and that there is a single college football team 
that's got its own network. Right. Like that's not a little thing. Right. That's a, that's a big deal. First off, like you said, and, and I'm not a TV revenue expert. So I would, again, I'm not going to go too far out on this ledge, but in my line of thinking, if you've got your own network, you got to be pretty healthy financially. That deal has to be bringing in something pretty competitive to make it work, right? right? And if you are the only school that plausibly gets a deal like that, you're not giving that up unless you absolutely have to give it up. And I think right. that playoff component is the is the part that matters the most, but I also think like even with a 12 team playoff if the two super conference situation emerges, maybe not explicitly, but maybe implicitly, even with 12, it becomes a tougher situation for Notre Dame. Right. That's right? where it gets sticky. Like if you, like what you're saying. Yeah. And like I said, other, other dominoes falling, if it comes to where it is, you know, everything's funneling to those two super conferences, like you say, then that's, that's a completely different scenario yeah. for Notre Dame at that point. I think that there are probably, you know, like some conferences that will probably be willing to let Notre Dame at least keep a pot, you know, a piece of that pie, assuming, you know, they have a TV contract and, and that kind of, just like when they joined up with the ACC a couple of years ago, they all those said, okay, well you can join, but we're, we're getting part of your TV revenue. And Notre Dame was like, well, we want to play football this season. So that's fine. But yeah, you're right. It, the, the super conference, the idea of the two super conferences, that, that's that's the game changer for everybody, especially for Notre Dame. You're right. Yeah. Well, RJ, it's been great catching you up with you as always. And like I said, I think we're all excited to see a, a very meaningful on both sides Notre Dame USC football game this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. It should be great. Always great talking to you, Sean. Have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. I think it's going right. to be a great one. Absolutely. Thanks, RJ.